So as I mentioned, we've been going over this section in Exodus 15, 16, 17 a few times here over the last few weeks. We went through the first time and looked at the main idea, which is obviously the grumbling and complaining of the Israelites over against the provision of God. Uh, clearly that's the main idea, so we looked at that first, and uh, we went over it again last week, and we looked at Jesus as the true Israel who succeeds in his temptation in the wilderness, where Israel failed in their temptation in the wilderness. What we're dealing with tonight is not the main theme in Exodus 16, but it is a theme in Exodus 16, and so we're going to touch on it as we make our way through as we go by, and that theme is the Sabbath. So I want to point out just this very simple thing to begin with, which is that the Sabbath is already in existence in Exodus chapter 16. There already is a Sabbath. The Lord says in verse 29, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So when did the Lord give the Sabbath to the Israelites? Not at Sinai. What we see biblically is that the Sabbath was given right at creation. If you flip back to Exodus 2, we read this in Exodus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Then, over in Exodus chapter 20, which is the giving of the Ten Commandments, we read this in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, The interpretation that Exodus 20 verse 11 gives us of what happens in Genesis 2, 2 and 3, is that Genesis 2, 2 and 3 was the institution of the Sabbath day. In Exodus 20, we read that it wasn't just a random day of rest way back in Genesis, but rather that way back in Genesis, it was actually already there, the institution of the Sabbath day. And so the Israelites... We're not still waiting in Exodus 16 to receive the Sabbath. They had already received it. In fact, humanity had received it at creation. And so by the time we get to the Ten Commandments, the way that the Sabbath commandment reads is like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Not here's a new thing that I'm going to teach you. No, no, remember the Sabbath day. Don't forget about the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day. The way I want you to live as my people is to keep the Sabbath day. So the first thing that I want to point out is that the Sabbath is already... (coughs) The Sabbath is already in existence in Exodus chapter 16, as it is a creation ordinance. Now, the Lord considers it a matter of obedience to his law, whether they keep the Sabbath or not. Look at verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, 
And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So again, is there law in effect before Exodus 20? The answer is yes, there is. Later in Exodus 16, we read this in verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Again, is there commandments and laws in effect before Exodus 20? The answer is yes. Now, it's important. These are, these are very, very basic observations, but they're important to point out because those who object to our view of the law and our understanding of the law um, often reason that the law wasn't actually given until Exodus chapter 20 and that the Lord gave the Israelites only the Sabbath day. Whereas when we look and see the way that the Sabbath is discussed even before Exodus 20, and even, in fact, the way that Exodus 20 speaks about Genesis 2, we see that the law is already in effect in the world, that the, the Sabbath commandment has already been given as a creation ordinance, which means it wasn't just particularly for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It predates them, and so it was for all people everywhere. And we see that um, there was, in fact, commandments and laws to be obeyed prior to Exodus chapter 20. So then when we go and read things in the New Testament, like, for example, in Romans chapter 5, bear with me, when we read in the New Testament things like in Romans chapter 5, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. We have to understand that it's using law in the sense, when it says before the law was given, it's using the sense of the old covenant there. So the Israelites were not yet under the old covenant in Exodus 16. The old covenant hadn't been established with them. And in that sense, the law hadn't been given. But what we see is that Sin is not counted where there is no law. And there it's using it in the sense of imperatives. So was sin counted before Exodus 20? Was sin counted in Exodus 16? Yes. The Lord is displeased with them for disobeying his commandments and his laws. So in a sense, the law wasn't given in the, in the sense that the old covenant wasn't given. But there was law in effect, such that sin was counted. And uh, so we need to understand just, or we need to observe, rather, just some of these basic things as we go um, so that we can understand better the sense in which the New Testament talks about law and understand what's applicable to us, what's not applicable to us, what's changed, what remains the same. We really want to observe carefully what's happening at every stage of Revelation. So note first that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It's in effect already in Exodus 16, before the giving of the Ten Commandments, before the Old Covenant is instituted with the nation of Israel, and the children of Israel are expected to obey it. Now, in order for them to obey it, 
they're going to have to do a couple of things. They're going to have to plan ahead for the Sabbath day, and they're going to have to exercise restraint on the Sabbath day. First, planning ahead for the Sabbath day, they're going to have to gather twice as much on the sixth day. We read in Exodus 16 and verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So, we see in Exodus 16 and verse 19, the instruction for the regular days. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. So this is what normally happens. If you gather on Monday, enough for Monday and Tuesday, so that Tuesday morning you can sleep in, well, guess what? It will breed worms and stink. But what happens if on Friday you gather enough for Friday and Saturday? This is what the Lord has commanded, verse 23. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. So they had to make this provision. They had to observe the days of the week and realize when it's the day before the Sabbath and get ready for the Sabbath and make this provision so that on that day they can rest. And specifically, with respect to the manna, what it meant for them was laying up twice as much. So instead of going and getting one omer for every person in the household, you go and get two omers for every person in the household. So there's some planning ahead. Then what they had to do was they had to exercise restraint on the Sabbath day, not to go out looking for manna. We read in this section that on the seventh day, this is verse 27 of Exodus 16, some of the people went to get out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the Lord wanted them to plan ahead for the Sabbath, and he also wanted them to exercise restraint on the Sabbath. So he wanted them to intentionally think ahead about the Sabbath day, and then he wanted them on the Sabbath day to be intentional about keeping it and not rushing out to go do the work of the other six days. So at a very, very basic level, we've covered so far the duty of the Sabbath day as it applies to the people of Israel in Exodus 16. They are to keep it as a creation ordinance, which is already commanded, already instituted, already in effect for them, even before the institution of the Old Covenant, even before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath commandments already in effect. At a very basic level, it means that they need to plan ahead for the Sabbath day, and on the Sabbath day itself, they need to use some restraint in terms of not doing the work of the other six days, but rather doing what the Lord wants them to do and resting from the work of the other six days. Very basic level. Okay, now we want to look at another aspect of 
the Sabbath day for the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath commandment is rooted in the institution of the Sabbath at creation. So in the giving of the Ten Commandments, as reported in Exodus 20, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the, the rationalization for the keeping of the Sabbath commandment there is that it's a creation ordinance and so you need to keep it. But in Deuteronomy 5, which is another account of the giving of the Ten Commandments, this is how the Sabbath commandment reads. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So for the Israelites, they were not only to commemorate the work of creation, but they were also to commemorate the work of their redemption. So this was a day when they were to cease from the work of the other six days and share in the rest of the Lord. As the Lord rested from his work of creation, so they were to rest and as the Lord as it were, step back to admire his handiwork, so they were to step back and admire his handiwork. And as the Lord accomplished the work of redemption for them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt and then said, look, you're not slaves anymore, so rest. And they, they were to bask in that and enjoy that. And they were to make sure that not only they rested, but they gave everyone in their household, even their animals, rest. As a way of commemorating that we're not slaves anymore. And we don't need to strive endlessly anymore. Our God gives us rest. We see that it was then not merely a duty, but also at the same time a gift. And a duty may also be a gift. We sometimes have this antinomian feeling in our hearts. Antinomian means anti-law. The root word is nomos, which is law. Anti-nomos. Anti-law. We sometimes have this antinomian feeling in our hearts. That if, this, if something is a duty, then it must be unpleasant. It must be bad. It must be something that we just grudgingly do. But what we see when we come to Scripture is the Apostle John saying that Christ's commands are not burdensome. What we see is David, the psalmist, saying, I delight in your law. 
right? And I love to run in the path of your commandments and things like this. God's duties are also God's gifts. When I say God's duties, I mean the duties that come to us from God. Our duties from God are also God's gifts to us. And so God gives us gifts of duties for our flourishing. So we actually thrive when we have no other gods but God. We actually thrive when we don't make false images of God. When we conceive of him as he actually is, rather than as we would wish him to be. When we reverence his name, when we keep the Sabbath day, when we honor our father and mother and refrain from murder and respect life and so on and so forth. This is actually for our flourishing. And so the Sabbath day is to the people of Israel in Exodus 16, not merely a duty, but also a gift. That one day in seven, they are not only permitted, but commanded to procrastinate on the work of the other six days. This is the one day of the week where you don't have to go catch up on all your work emails. This is the one day of the week where you shut your phone off and tell your boss guilt-free, sorry, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. This is the one day of the week where you don't have all of these other things hanging over your head, this relentless pressure of the things that you have to do. This is the one day of the week where the Lord says, there are six days in which you shall labor. And Christians ought to have a good work ethic. And Christians ought to spend the other six days productively engaging with the rest of the world, doing things that are in keeping with the creation mandate to exercise dominion over this earth. But one day in seven, the Lord says, I want you to stop doing the other things. And I want you to step back and admire, as it were, the works of creation and redemption. This is what the Sabbath day was to the people of Israel. And so they had to respond not only with obedience, but also what was implicitly expected was also gratitude. In, uh, I believe it's Isaiah 58, this just came to my mind and it's not in my notes, but I believe it's Isaiah 58. No, it, it is not. Somewhere in the prophets, there is uh, an indictment against the people of Israel for complaining, when will the Sabbath be over? Right? Because what they wanted to do was get back to business. How long do we have to stop doing this work? And how long do we have to be limited in the things that we desire to do? When will the Sabbath be over? What a drudgery this is. Implicitly, that's forbidden. When we understand that the Sabbath is not merely a duty, but also a gift. You're not slaves anymore, so stop acting like slaves. And endlessly striving and endlessly working. The Israelites were called, as it does say in Isaiah 58, to... Let me just find the verse here. To call the Sabbath a delight. Isaiah 58 and verse 13. The right response of the hearts of the people of Israel was not to grudgingly stop doing the work of the other six days and 
say, when will the Sabbath be over? But implicitly, they ought to have called the Sabbath a delight and said, look at the way that the Lord cares for us and provides for us, that he builds in to our weekly rhythm some rest in order that we might be freed from the stress of the other six days and have a chance to step back and refocus and reprioritize and remember what's central and remember what's ultimate. And there are so many ways in which we are tempted to have our minds set on temporal things and earthly things. But here's this day where the Lord has set it aside in order that we might think about heavenly things and in order that we might commune with Him. Implicitly, gratitude was called forth from the people of Israel in obedience to this Sabbath command. And know also that so was trust. So the other six days, what would happen if they gathered too much and kept it till the morning? They would breed worms and sting. And remember, they didn't have airtight containers, right? Like, like we might have for canning or whatever, the mason jars with the twist-top lids. Right? So if it bred worms and stank, the worms probably came crawling up out of it, like they come crawling up out of our garbage cans from time to time. And it's nasty, and you wake up, and it's this disgusting situation. So to put aside intentionally enough for a whole other day, trusting that it's not going to breed worms and stink is a small act of faith here. Right? And not going out in the morning to go get fresh manna is again uh, an act of trust that what we gathered yesterday is going to be good for us to eat today. There needed to be some appreciation that this was a supernatural thing. That this wasn't merely just a natural phenomenon. Moses didn't just come up with this law and here's, here's Moses who's on a power trip and wants to regulate the rhythms of our lives. And so Moses has said every seventh day, so on and so forth. Even the way that the other six days, keeping it overnight would lead it to breed worms and stink. But if you keep it on Friday night, it works. It shows us that it's this supernatural thing. And so there's this trust that this is how God's taking care of us. That this is, this is how God's feeding us. That this is how God is nourishing us. All of these things were part and parcel of the Israelites' keeping of the Sabbath commandment even before Sinai, even before the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, what I want to do is move from their situation to ours. And their situation and ours are actually more similar than might first, uh, than might appear at first glance. Because they weren't under the Old Covenant. And neither are we. So we're actually in a more similar situation to the Israelites in Exodus 16 than we are to the Israelites in Exodus 20. Because in Exodus 20, the Lord was entering into a covenant with them that he has not entered into with us. But in Exodus 16, he hadn't yet. And so they weren't under the old covenant, and neither are we under the old covenant. So we're actually in a more similar situation than it might first appear. There are differences, admittedly. I assume that you don't go gather manna on your uh, front lawn or back lawn morning by morning, and that you 
like me, shop at Popular and wherever else. But there are similarities in the sense that uh, we are not under the old covenant and neither were they. So let's go back through and think of the things that we've already established. In Exodus 16, they weren't expected to keep the Sabbath commandment by virtue of their being under the old covenant. Rather, they were expected to keep it by virtue of it being a creation ordinance. In other words, it was because God had instituted it way back in Genesis chapter 2, that's why they were expected to keep it. It was already in effect since Genesis, and that's why at this juncture, the Lord is expecting and assuming his people will remember the Sabbath day. So it is with us. The world is still here. It's still being created. In fact, it's been, the new creation has begun. That in Christ Jesus, all things will be made new. We read in Exodus, or pardon me, in Genesis chapter 3, that the Lord cursed Adam and Eve because of Adam's sin. And also God cursed the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you, God says to Adam. Well, in Christ Jesus, what's happening is that we who are dead have been raised to walk in newness of life. And this principle of new everlasting life is now in us. And so, what? And, and then we have this hope that the, even the heavens and the earth will be made new. And again, that's by virtue of the work of Christ. So as God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. It's as if he has said to Christ Jesus, but renewed and blessed will the ground be because of you. And so in the first creation, what God did was created the earth itself and then populated it. In the new creation, what God is doing is populating it and then renewing the earth. And so it's like a mirror image, right? Here's the earth, here's the population of it, and then the fall. Now here's the new creation or the population of the earth, and then the renewal of the earth itself. You see, it's a, it's a mirror image. That Adam is undoing, or pardon me, Jesus is undoing what Adam did. God did A and then B, and then Adam's fall broke both A and B, and so God is renewing B and then A. This is what's happening in the work of Christ. And so the new creation has all be, already begun. We read that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is what? A new creation. And it's in Revelation 21 that we hear God say, Behold, I am making all things new. And so new creation has already begun. And the exodus, which Jesus accomplished at Jerusalem, has already happened. Remember, in the transfiguration, he and Moses and Elijah appeared together and they were talking about, the Greek word is, the exodus that Jesus was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. We've just worked through the exodus narrative. 
we've seen God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, and we've seen that this is typological. It prefigures, it foreshadows, it pictures a greater deliverance that happens later through Jesus Christ. As they were in slavery to Pharaoh, so we were in slavery to sin. But God sends a mediator. For them it was Moses. For us, it's Christ Jesus who leads us out of bondage. The Lord bears his uh, mighty right arm on their behalf to rescue them and to make a way where there was no way. And for us, all of our righteousness was as filthy rags and there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. But God made a way where there was no way and led us up out of slavery and he's leading us through this wilderness of this present life and he will help us to cross the Jordan River and plant us on his holy mountain as we saw in Exodus 15. He will make his dwelling with us. This is God's purpose in bringing us out. We've already seen this connection, right? So in other words, the new creation has already begun and the new exodus has already happened. Right? Or we could say is happening as we are being led uh, in this age, generation after generation, out of our slavery to sin, into faith in Jesus Christ, until we die and cross the River Jordan and go to be with the Lord as we wait the renewal of all things. So, we certainly must keep the Sabbath day. The logic here is that the Ten Commandments were not actually unique to the Old Covenant. They were already in effect before even the institution of the Old Covenant. There's never been a time in which idolatry is okay. Whether explicitly worshipping a false god or just creating God in your own image, there's never been a time when it's okay to take the Lord's name in vain. There's never been a time, as we see in Exodus 16, where it's been okay to break the Sabbath. There's never been a time when it's okay to dishonor your father and mother or murder or commit adultery and so on and so forth. Just as the Israelites were under the substance of these things, even before the giving of the Old Covenant at Sinai, so we are under the substance of these things even after the Old Covenant has become obsolete and vanished away as Hebrews 8 tells us. And yet, something has changed because of the work of Christ. We don't commemorate the first creation anymore, but the new creation in Christ Jesus, which is superseding the old, which is going to be this lasting new heavens and new earth, which is a result of Christ's work. We celebrate that Christ has accomplished a new creation. And we don't celebrate the first exodus. We're not in eternity going to be praising God forever for bringing Moses and the children of Israel up out of Egypt, primarily. Though, of course, we'll always adore everything that God's done. But the primary focus will be the exodus that Jesus accomplished at Jerusalem. And so, in the new covenant, it doesn't make sense for us to celebrate the creation the exodus that were given as the things which the old covenant people of God living at that time should have celebrated. It makes sense for us to celebrate the new creation. 
and the new exodus, which Jesus has accomplished. And so historically, Reformed churches have recognized that the Sabbath day has changed from being the seventh to being the first, which is why the apostles uniformly taught the first century churches to worship on Sundays. And admittedly, there's some inference here. I grant that. Um, But what we see is that Jesus finished his work and uh, on the first day of the week stopped working when he came out of the grave, right? And he sat down at the right hand of God. Everything is the first day. And so in the New Testament, we read that there is this thing called the Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 1. And all scholars, including Seventh-day Adventist scholars, recognize that the Lord's Day is Sunday. Even uh, Samuel, I'm not sure how to say his last name, Bacciochi, he wrote a, um, uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist scholar who has written a uh, lengthy treatise on arguing that the seventh day is the Sabbath. But even he grants that when it says the Lord's Day in Revelation chapter 1, it's referring to Sunday. And we see the apostles uniformly teaching Christians to meet on the first day of the week. We see any time that a day is mentioned in the New Testament connecting with worship, it's always a Sunday. And so we believe that as Jesus gave the apostles authority to teach and rule in his name, that they saw that the fit day for worship In other words, the fit day in which we commemorate the work that God has done through Christ Jesus is actually the first. And so the Reformed tradition has recognized that implicitly we must be under the Ten Commandments still since they're not tied strictly to the Old Covenant, but were in effect before and therefore must be in effect also afterward. But the way that the Sabbath commandment has developed in light of the work of Christ is that the Sabbath is the first day rather than the seventh. And so what are the applications then for us when we understand this? Well, just as the Israelites needed to give some forethought to the observation of the Sabbath day, so we do too. We ought to be thinking about the rest of our week in terms of how can we make sure that we're free to worship the Lord on the first day. So, before, that I, before I came to accept this view, and I didn't hold a Sabbatarian view, we just used to go to church uh, once on a Sunday morning, and then I'd usually come home and watch NFL football, maybe fall asleep on the couch, wake up, do some laundry, do some planning, get ready for Monday morning, and that was a typical Sunday for me. It was very physically relaxing, it helped me go into the week pretty well organized and feeling like I was on the ball. When I started to realize that all day Sunday is to be dedicated to resting from the labor of the other six days and focused on commemorating the work of new creation and this new accidents that Jesus has accomplished, then I said to myself, well, in fact, Mel and I were going through it at the same time, and so we said to one another, we're going to have to change the rest of our week. Because what other day then are we going to do all this stuff that we got to do, like get physical rest, (laughs) like do our laundry, like get ready for Monday. 
if we're going to honor the Lord's Day, then we're going to need to juggle around some of these things that we are accustomed to stuffing in on Sundays and put them somewhere else in our week so that we can better keep the Lord's Day. Also, as the Israelites had to exercise some restraint not to go out and do the work of the other six days on the Sabbath day, so we also have to exercise some restraint. We feel Monday encroaching upon us, and we feel like there's things that we've got to get done. But we need to recognize that the Lord wants us to keep His commandments and His laws. Remember, the Lord was frustrated with them. It doesn't matter that they didn't find any manna. The problem was what was in their heart, that they went out to look for manna on the seventh day when the Lord had told them not to. The Lord was frustrated with them. <clears throat> and what does he say? Let me read the exact words. This is in verse 28. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. The Lord wants them to keep his commandments and his laws. And he says, look, I've made provision for this. Therefore, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. In other words, exercise some restraint, guys. Keep my commandments and my laws. I've made provision for you to stop this one day a week. Guard your hearts then that you will not be stubborn to flaunt my commandments and my laws. Right? If I could put it in the words of our PM as she was addressing COVID, stand home. <laughs> Just take it easy, guys. This is the day that the Lord has set apart for one thing. Do that thing. Restrain yourselves from going to do these other things. You don't need to do these other things. I've made provision for you to stop and to rest on this day. So use some restraint over your hearts. Walk in my commandments and laws. This is essentially what the Lord is saying. Now, remember, what was implicitly called forth from them was not merely the obedience to the externals of this command. But implicitly, since it was a gift to them, gratitude was also called forth. Remember, they were indicted for complaining. When will the Sabbath be over? That that was not the response of their hearts that they ought to have offered. But rather, they should have, as Isaiah 58 does say, call the Sabbath a delight. So it is also with us. That we ought not to feel like, ah, when will the Sabbath be over? Yes, I know I'm not supposed to do the work of the other six days on this day, and I won't. Yes, I've given some forethought to how I can be prepared in all of the ways that I need to so that I can actually stop on the first day of the week, Sunday, and commemorate the work that God has done through Christ Jesus in new creation and a new exodus. Yes, I'm prepared to do that. But when will the Sabbath be over? That ought not to be the response of our hearts, but rather we ought to embrace it as a gift and call the Sabbath a delight. Look, we're not slaves. You're not a slave of your employer. Right? You're not a slave of 
your husband and your wife or other people's expectations who might want you to do this or that. You're not a slave of WhatsApp. You're not a slave of Facebook. You're not a slave of whatever it is that you feel is so urgent that you just, you can't wait till Monday to do this thing. You just have to do it now. Look, tell that thing as it were, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not, I don't need to do that thing today. This is the day um, that the Lord has set aside for this purpose, the work of worship. Give yourself the freedom to do that. Again, this is not in my notes, so I don't have the reference here, but where it says in the, the Psalms, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I believe you can double check me on this. I believe that you're going to read a, a superscript over that psalm, a psalm for the Sabbath day. I'm pretty sure that was used in the Sabbath worship of the people of Israel. Um, double check me on that. Be good Bereans. But I believe that I, that I heard that once. And if so, then exegetically we have that point. If I'm wrong and I'm just blowing smoke, nevertheless, still that ought to be the feeling of our hearts. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in the Sabbath. Let us call the Sabbath a delight. What a privilege it is not to have to live like slaves seven days a week, but to say, look, there's all these things calling me to be focused horizontally. There are all these earthly things. But the Lord says in Colossians chapter 3, Set your mind not on things on earth, but on heavenly things. This is a day that the Lord has provided where we cannot set our mind on earthly things and where we can turn our mind to heavenly things. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get caught up in the cares and riches and pleasures of life so that the spiritual growth that comes from the seed of the word tends to get choked out. It's so easy, isn't it? The Sabbath is a day where we can set aside to some extent the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life and say, let me set my mind on heavenly things where Christ is. The Sabbath is a day when nothing else is urgent. And this is where my focus can be. And I can feel guilt-free about that. I can procrastinate on everything else with the Lord's permission. At the Lord's mandate. And I don't have to return my calls and my messages and my emails and fulfill my work responsibilities urgently on this day. Let us call the Sabbath a delight. This is a day when the Lord has ordained that we should find manna for our souls though we don't do the work of the other six days. We might feel like in order to really thrive and flourish, we've got to work seven days a week. We've got to have our focus. We've got to be on point seven days a week. But the Lord has set it up in such a way that it's going to be okay if you do six days of labor and you stop. There's still going to be men. You're going to be all right. The Lord has made this day as a provision for us. He's given it to us as a duty, yes, but also as a gift. 
This is the day where we can think of Christ Jesus who came into this world at the Father's behest to save sinners. We can think on the multifaceted glories of Christ Jesus. We can think about the typologies and Old Testament pictures of Jesus. We can think about the Gospels and the actual things that Jesus himself did and said during the period that he was on earth prior to his ascension. We can think about the apostles' teaching with respect to the person of Jesus. We can think of the benefits of the new covenant, including the Spirit of God who has been poured out upon us through Christ Jesus. We can think that my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. We can think of all of the wonderful benefits of Christ Jesus. We can think about, as we read this morning in our call to worship, that Christ lives forevermore in order that he might save, and he always lives to make intercession for us in order that he might save to the uttermost those who draw near to the Father through him. We can meditate on the multifaceted glories and excellencies of the person of Christ Jesus, who is our Savior, who is the heavenly bridegroom of his church, We can think about the relationship in which we stand now to his Father and to his Spirit through him. We can think about the new earth and the new heavens that are coming. We can think about eternity. We can can let our minds go on these things and let our hearts go on these things in a way that the other six days we often can't because of the necessity of just our other duties and the other things that have to get done. You can't be at your work just daydreaming. John, John, oh, yes, sorry. I was just thinking on the wonderful manifold excellencies of Christ. While you're at work now, you need to focus on your work. We can't just do that every day of the week. But on Sunday, sure, take some time, go sit in your yard, find a shady spot, and just think on the excellencies of Christ. Find some Christian friends and get together and pray. Talk about the Lord. Think about what you heard on Sunday morning during the afternoon. Think about what you heard on Sunday evening as you lay your head down to take some rest overnight. Go over your notes if you're a note taker. This is a day that the Lord has made provision for us to do what He has said and let the Word of God dwell in us richly. This is a day that the Lord has given us in which we might set our mind on heavenly things where Christ is. It's a gift. It's a help to us as we make our way through this wilderness until that day when we cross the River Jordan and are with God forevermore. The song that we're going to sing now in response is called A Few More Years. And one of the lines says this, A few more Sabbaths here shall cheer us on our way, and we shall reach the endless rest, the eternal Sabbath day. Let us view Sundays not as a drudgery, not as a grudging thing. Yes, it is our duty to set set the day aside for worship, but let us view it also as a gift. Let us not say, when will the Sabbath be over, or, oh no, here comes another Sabbath, but let us call the Sabbath a delight, and let a few more Sabbaths here cheer us on our way.